Thank you, Audrey. And God is working in the harvest in many, many different ways. It doesn't happen the same for everyone, but here's a story that I thought you'd find very, very interesting and encouraging, that when we're willing to take a step, even though it might be difficult, God is working things behind the scenes and brings them together. He's working in the harvest fields, and he asks us to cooperate in one way or another. Well, I'm reinforcing what I talked about last week about Reach One. I've entitled my sermon, Reach One Reprise, because we're going to revisit what we talked about last week, where we're headed this year, 2015, and reaching out to those that we know in our own lives in a personal way. I was thinking about Christmas a couple years ago when I was senior pastor at Grace Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. I walked into my study, and there was this beautiful basket from a small group in our church to me, uh, full of Christmas goodies and uh, a gift card to one of my favorite restaurants. And, and then inside of all this was this little toy airplane. And I picked it up, and it had a note on it. It said, to the pilot of our church. And I pushed the button, and the propeller began to spin. And I'm laughing, and all of a sudden I think, whoa. This is serious. I am the pilot of this church. They're depending on me to take them somewhere. And even though this is a funny little airplane, it's telling me volumes about the reality of what I am in this church. And then I thought immediately, am I ever glad I've got people in the co-pilot seats with me? I've got my staff. I've got my elders. I've got some high-capacity volunteers. And we're all together in this great flight that we're taking going somewhere. Here I am getting ready for today's sermon, and I think about that airplane, and I'm thinking to myself once again, I am the pilot of this church, Old North Church, and I need to take it somewhere. But with me is a great band of elders. With me is a great group of pastors. With me is a great group of volunteers, and we're going to go somewhere, and I get the privilege to help chart that course. Now, you might wonder, okay, Brother Al, where are you taking us? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, one of the things I have to do as a pilot is check the aircraft from time to time. Anybody happy that the personnel on airlines check their aircrafts? Well, I've got to do that. I don't talk about checking the aircraft up here on Sundays, but one of the things I'm doing is helping the church in its constitutional revision. That's all part of making the aircraft run smoother. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. I want to tell you where I'm taking the church. In case you didn't figure out, let me tell you where I took you last year. I wanted to take you on a spiritual journey, 2014. I wanted everybody in the church to grow up in the Lord. I wanted everybody to get more healthy, to take more spiritual steps than you did before. And so 2014 was growing up together. It was that vertical line that we had with the Lord that we're all making spiritual progress. I want to take you in that direction as your pilot. But I also go in another direction, not just the vertical. As your pilot, I want to take you in the horizontal. And so for 2015, I'm talking about taking you in a journey that you would reach out to people in your network, people who need Jesus Christ, this horizontal reach that as we're reaching to the Father, we reach to other people for their salvation, that they also might come to know the Lord. And so, as your pilot, I'm taking you on a journey, 2015, to think about people that you know who need the Lord. That's where we are heading, and we're calling it Reach One. And so, that second place I'm taking you is Old North Church, helping as many possible to get to heaven. 
helping as many possible as we know in our community to find forgiveness, to become sons and daughters of God and the power of his glorious gospel. And we're calling it Reach One. Reach One. Now, what is Reach One? We talked about it last week, and it's in your um, compass, the idea that every one of us will think about one person that we can minister to, one person that we can invite to something, one person that we can share our faith in one calendar year, 2015. And I think that is so doable, and that's what we're doing. In fact, I introduced the text of the year. Something that many of you learned as a child, I did in Sunday school, Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. Do you see the connection there? If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, part of being a disciple is to become a fisher of men and women. Now, the possibility exists that we don't have to go there. The possibility exists that I, as your pilot, could say, you know what, all we're going to do in this church is take care of the sheep that are in the fold. Take care of the people who know the Lord and make them fat and sassy. You know, all we're going to do is maintain the ministry. We're not going to do anything beyond our walls. And you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of ministries are there. There's only one problem with the maintenance ministry not going beyond our walls and, and, and maintaining our own fun and joy as a, as, a, as a club, as it were. There are two problems, actually. Number one, I'm not a maintenance pilot. It is not good enough for me to be a Christ follower and a pastor to say, all I'm going to do the rest of my life is to take care of the sheep in the fold. That's all I'm going to do. I made a vow to God in my ordination vows and beyond as a young pastor that part of my ministry would not be only caring for the sheep. It would be leaving the 90 and 9 and finding those who need the Lord. That there's a ministry of reconciliation that we are to be ambassadors of Christ and for his sake. And so I take very seriously the injunction that Paul made to Timothy when he said to Timothy, who was a young pastor at that time, do the work of an evangelist. And that's what we're called to do, to be a church that's reaching out, not just the pastor, but also the people. The other problem is to be just a maintenance church that all we do is take care of Christians already in the fold. We can't disobey Jesus and call ourselves disciples. I mean, listen to this. He told us to be fishers of men, Matthew 4, 19. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He told us to be his witnesses when the Holy Spirit would fall upon him, uh, fall upon us, that is, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And he told us to go into the fields that are white unto harvest and reap the harvest, John 4. Do you think that we can sit here as a church or as a pastor and say, I'm not going to do that, Lord, and call myself a disciple? Can't do it. How can we ever disobey the Lord when he gave us a work to do? And part of that work is to reaching other people for the Lord. So today, I want to take that last command that he gave us about the harvest in John chapter 4. I want to talk about the harvest and our involvement in that harvest. And to help you understand that going into the harvest is not just a nice option for us. It is a moral imperative. So would you stand as I read this account in God's holy word? Stand in honor of his word. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, it's page 889 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, it would do us great joy if you would take that home with you. Bless you. Take that home with you and uh, 
keep that as a gift from us. But here we are, starting John 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harps? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You may be seated. How many of you believe that Jesus tells the truth all the time? May I see your hands? I think it's pretty unanimous. He does not lie to us. And here's what he's saying. He is saying as truthfully as I'm standing in front of you today and you can see me, he is saying the harvest is there, it is plentiful, and it is ready. And we need laborers in the harvest. That is the truth of what he sees. And so he's right up front with us that there's a harvest and we need to be involved in it. So the big idea of my sermon, and I want every one of us, including me, to get our hearts and our heads around this, the big idea, each of us, not your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, but you, me, each of us need to be workers in the harvest field of God. Now, when they wrote, when Jesus uh, did this and John wrote about this, that society was very much an agrarian society. It was a crop farming society, and everybody knew what he was talking about when he was talking about the harvest. Today, things have kind of changed in America with all our technology. Hardly any young people growing up on a farm anymore. They don't know so much about the harvest as we used to, except in the Canfield area, we still know a lot about the harvest. I mean, I drive around and see a lot of crop fields. Last uh, Labor Day, I went to the Canfield Fair, and a lot of what happens at the Canfield Fair is about the crop around here. In fact, I have never seen taller corn stalks than I saw at the Canfield Fair. I have never seen taller sunflower seeds. Oh, Jack and the beanstalk would be jealous of this one, and it went way, way up in that pavilion. I have never seen bigger pumpkins in captivity than the ones I saw at the Canfield Fair. We understand something about the harvest in this area. And Jesus is saying, there's another harvest. If you understand the physical harvest, there's another harvest. It's a harvest of people. And in the mind of Jesus, when he was talking about the harvest, here's what he was thinking. The many who need a personal relationship with him. The many who need their sins forgiven. The many who need to be rescued because they are perishing. So let's go into our text. John 4, so much is packed in there. But Jesus was going northwards to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And he was tired and thirsty along with his disciples when they come to this woman at the well. And they decided that it was time to to have the disciples go for groceries, and Jesus began to talk to this lady, a, a conversation that changed her life. And she was so impacted by what happened to her and this meeting with the Messiah that she went back into her village and she talked about, hey, Messiah is at the well, and they came out by the scores to see him. And it says a goodly number of them believed in him. And there's just a sense of great joy as you read this text. I mean, whenever there's a good harvest, people are happy. And that's the feeling you get in this passage. 
Yes, the harvest. Do you realize that Old North Church sits in the middle of a harvest field of thousands of people within a 10-mile radius that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Thousands of people who go nowhere to church. Thousands of people, if they go to church, don't go to a gospel-preaching church. Thousands of people in the harvest who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are, plopped in the middle of a former cornfield, I think, to reach out to those who are currently in need of the Savior. It is exciting. And we are talking, as Jesus said, about a harvest that's ready and a harvest that's plentiful. Thousands of people around us who need the Lord. And so... I go to John 4, and I want to talk about five compelling features of reaching the harvest that you can grab a hold of today and maybe just confirm in your heart more than ever that you need to be part of getting into that field and reaping the harvest together with each one of us. First of all, harvest feature number one. I want you to know that reaping the harvest is the will of God for you, for me, for this church. The will of God. Now, if you were to ask me, what are the two greatest features of the will of God, I would have one quick answer for you. Feature number one is that you need to live a holy life. That's the will of God. Feature number two, you need to be reaching the lost. That's the will of God. And lo and behold, when you look at the life of Christ and the will of God in Jesus, what do you see? Will of God number one. He does everything to please the Father, and he lives a holy life. Number two, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. He's outreaching the lost, the will of God. So here's John 4. This aspect of reaching the lost is prominent. And all the, though the text doesn't say it explicitly, I think the disciples had been with Jesus at the well. And they said, you know what, Lord? We are hungry. Jesus said, think about it, so am I. Uh, Go ahead into the village and get some food, and uh, I'll I'll be here when you get back. And so they go into the town to buy some food. Verse 8 says they went, and then all of a sudden Jesus is with this woman at the well while the other disciples are thinking the most pressing thing is physical. We are hungry. And so Jesus is about to teach them a very valuable lesson. And so after this life-changing conversation with this woman... And maybe even in the middle of it, up comes the disciples with their bags full of grocery and said, Lord, here we are. You can talk to this lady some other time. We are hungry. Let's eat. And the disciples almost are annoyed because they are hungry. And when you're hungry, everything else can wait. You ever been there? Uh, One time, four, five, six years ago, Marie and I had dinner guests. And it was the height of preparation in the kitchen because we were hungry. And we wanted to eat when the phone rings. And there's a relative on the phone. And the relative wants to talk and talk and talk. And Marie's talking to the relative. And I'm getting annoyed. And I say, Marie, hang up. Hang up. We can talk to that person later on. It's time to eat. We're hungry. Hang up. Hang up. You know? And I, so uh, that's the way it was. We were thinking about dinner over ministry. And that's where these disciples were. Food was high on their priority list. And so they said to the Lord, while he's with this woman, Lord, Rabbi, eat. We got the food. It's time to eat. You can talk later. And Jesus responded in verse 32 by saying to them, in essence, I am eating. And they were thinking, verse 33, okay, who snuck in the groceries and gave him some food? But, you know, we we didn't give him ours. And Jesus is saying in verse 34, listen, guys, 
I am most nourished by doing my Father's will. I am eating, as it were, when I do His will and when I accomplish His work. And guys, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm eating. You think it's physical? I'm telling you, I'm eating. It is spiritual. And that's when Jesus said, look unto the fields. They are white in the harvest. And you know what they were seeing at that moment? They were seeing the stream of all these Samaritans coming out of the village by the dozens and these white turbans on their head as they were coming down the pathway through the fields. They were seeing, look, just like wheat waving in the wind, all these people. And Jesus said, see that? Harvest them. That's my meat. That's my food. And all they needed to do was to take a look and begin to say, Lord, I understand. The lesson is obvious. Reaching lost people is the priority of Christ. It was the will of God for him. And reaching lost people is also the priority for us. And I want you to know that we are most nourished, not in eating lunch today, but in realizing when we leave here, there's a harvest field that needs the Lord, and you can be part of bringing that bread of life to them. And so you need to understand that gathering the harvest for Jesus and for us is the will of God. But there's a second feature about reaping the harvest. Harvest feature number two is reaping the harvest is about timing. It's about timing, verse 35. Now, there's something urgent about the harvest. When it comes, if you don't pick it, what happens? It spoils. You ever leave tomatoes too long on the vine? They spoil. And so it is with other fruit. And so verse 35 you know, the, the disciples are thinking, well, we got four more months out there. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, don't think like that in terms of physical terms. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter when you plant spiritual seed. You never know when that's going to ripen. It can ripen at any moment. So it's not like the physical. You guys like to eat, and you guys like to think physical. Uh-uh, it's different spiritually. When you plant the seed, Amos 9 and verse 13 said, years before, there'll come a day when the plowman will overtake the reaper. When you plant the spiritual seed, it is likely because there are so many people needy out there that they will respond immediately. And so what Jesus was saying is when the harvest is ready, you don't wait. When the harvest is ready, you don't say, well, I'm going to wait till I feel like I want to go out into the fields. You get out there or you will lose the crop. Now, don't miss the point in verse 35 about timing. Jesus was saying, look at these people. You need to know the harvest is always ready. There's always somebody in the world, always somebody in your town that needs the Lord just ready to say yes. There is no time to lose. Timing is everything. And so these days, I've changed my orientation. It happened a number of years ago when I realized how serious the harvest is. That every time I'm in a group of people, if I go to a stadium, I'm not just looking at the game. I'm thinking, look at all these people who need the Lord. And when I go out Christmas shopping and the mall is full and I see people all over the place, I'm thinking, many of these people need the Lord. And when I get stuck in traffic jam and, and a big freeway somewhere and I'm looking at all the cars and the people, I'm thinking, how many of these people need the Lord? There's a harvest to be picked and there's a lot of ripeness out there. How can we stay on the sidelines? And so the woman at the well was an extremely ripe person. 
She'd been hurt in life, divorced five times, living with a sixth guy that she wasn't married to. And she was broken, didn't think a lot of herself. And there she was, just very, very ready. And Jesus came along, and he picked, as it were, the low-hanging fruit. It was so ripe. But there's another feature about the reaping harvest. Feature number three. The harvest is not just about readiness. It is about bounty. There's a lot of harvest out there ready to be picked. Now, when Jesus was talking about looking at the white fields, it wasn't just that they were white. It was full. It was plentiful. There was a lot of it. And if you were looking out there, Jesus wasn't saying, oh, there's one or two people out there. He was saying, it is loaded with people out there who need me. They are ready, and there are many of them. And the same thing is true today. There are many around us who need the Lord, multiplied thousands in our area who don't know the Lord, multiplied thousands of people who have no place to go because they're not involved in the church and they don't know the way. And Jesus said, there are many who need me. Now, this isn't said explicitly in the text, but when there are many people who need the Savior, when they come to the Savior, here's what's not in there. You need a barn to put the crop into, don't you, when you pick the harvest? And so what we find in other texts of Scripture is that when the harvest is picked, you put it into the barn. And what is the barn? It is the church. And that is the reason in the book of Acts it says many, many places that thousands of people came to know Christ and they were added to the church. It's a kingdom fact. When you reap the harvest, it increases the size of the church. Now, something I learned early in ministry, and it's lasted for many, many years, is that there are some people in churches who don't want the church to grow. They don't want it to get larger. They want it to stay smaller. So if you go into the harvest, here's the question I have. What are you going to do with the people who trust Christ as their Savior? If you go into the harvest, what are you going to do with them? Are we going to say, whoa, we're so glad you trusted Christ, but you can't come to Old North? Not allowed here. We don't want our church to get any bigger. So, go some other place or don't even go at all. What are we going to do? I asked you, what about you? What about me? When we came to Christ, what if the church that we went to right after we, we, we found the Lord said, you know what? We're so glad you found the Lord, but you can't come in. <laughs> we don't want our church to grow. Can you imagine how ridiculous that is? The reality is when the church enters the harvest field, People are going to find Christ, and the church is going to grow. That's how God set things up. Now, I need to be candid with you. If we're serious about reaching out to people, each one of us this year at Old North, when they find Christ, it is very likely that they'll come here. Very likely that they're going to make their way. Focus on the harvest will produce growth, and we should expect and prepare for conversion growth. Well, let me tell you something that was kind of embarrassing about growth that happened this year. When I came here a year and a half ago, I saw how they counted the attendance here. It was just around 950 to 1,000. I said, well, I thought the church was bigger than that. And they said, well, we only count the people who come and sit in the worship center as part of our, our count. And I said, no, the way you need to count is you count everybody once who comes to the church because children are just as important as adults to God. Okay, so we changed how we count that. 
And then eventually, somehow, a magazine called Outreach Magazine got a hold of our statistics, but they didn't understand what they were, and they thought we grew by 248 people, and we ended up in Outreach Magazine as one of the 100 fastest growing churches in America, number 62. Hmm, what am I going to do? Do I say anything? And what will my friends start calling and say, hey, Al, you're an interim pastor and you're pulling this thing off. How are you doing that? You know, that kind of thing. And I knew it wasn't true. So I decided, okay, the honorable thing to do is to get a hold of the editor and tell him somewhere there was this, was this mistake. And so I write him this letter and I tell him what happened. And then I understood something that really captured my heart. And this is what I wrote him. If it only takes a couple hundred people to break into the top 100 of the fastest growing churches in America, then that's the challenge we need to take at Old North Church. If it only takes a couple hundred people to come to know the Lord and join our church and, and we can be top 100, what are the other churches out there doing? The harvest is there. And so I would offer you that challenge because listen to me. I'm believing that there are 1,500 adults in this church. And if you all decided to reach one this year and they came to faith, that would grow this church by maybe, let's say, 1,000 or 750. Now, you all know we live in a fallen world, and that's not going to happen, as much as I'd like to see it happen. So if 1,500 people reach 1,500 people, we could grow by another 1,500. If 1,500 people reach 750 people, we could grow by another. But say, that's really, really high. Just say we really did a bad job and only reached 200 people for Christ this coming year. Hey, we'd be the top 100. It is so doable. What do you mean doable, Al? I know it's doable. Listen, my church back in Erie, Grace Church, for a number of years, we would baptize 50 to 75 people every year. And I checked 2014, this last calendar year. I called them up this week and I said, how many did you baptize this year? 71, and most of them were converts. It is so doable. And we need to step up and understand that the harvest is about bounty. Here's the fourth thing about the harvest. Reaping the harvest is about doing it together. Team of laborers in the field together. Now, Jesus is God, right? He can say, okay, fellas, I am God. Just watch me go into the harvest. I'm going to pull them in all over the world. and Just watch me, and then you can glorify my name as I do it myself. He doesn't want to do it that way. And he could have said, okay, folks, guys, here's the thing. Some of you have a heart for people. Some of you who don't. If you have a heart for people, you're in with me, help me. If not, don't worry about it. Jesus was saying, we're all in in the harvest, all laborers together. We are all part of a team, verses 37 and 38. Now in the days of Jesus, the harvest was big, but there were very few Christians. The movement was just getting started. And so Jesus told his disciples one day, Luke 10, 2, said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There aren't many of us. Therefore, pray earnestly to send laborers into his harvest, that God would raise up laborers. Do you know, we don't have to pray that prayer anymore. Do you know why? Because there are millions of Christians, millions of laborers. They're already there. What we need is not more prayer. We need more obedience. There's enough of us to reach people all the way around. What we've got to do is get into the harvest fields. But the teams are weak across America. Get this. 
The Barna Research Group did a poll in 2005 which said that 45% of born-again American Christians never share their faith in a given 12-month period. Almost half of Christians will never share their faith in a given year. What's more, a 2003 study by the Southern Baptists, largest denomination in America, said that it takes 1,100 Baptists for one new convert per year. Did you hear that? It takes 1,100 Christians to win one other person in one calendar year. I personally think Jesus is sick about that. He's happy for everyone that comes, but 1,100 people to reach one? Woo! Now, here's what church growth people say is healthy. It takes 35 in a healthy, growing church to reach one per year. 35 to one. That still sounds a little anemic to me. Now, I'm not going to waste my time keeping numbers like this. All I know is that Jesus said, there is a harvest out there. It is white. It is bountiful. It is plentiful. And all the workers need to be in it. And when that happens, people are going to find Christ. And he's calling all of us, all hands in the middle, reaching people for the Lord. Which leads me to my last feature of the harvest. In reaping the harvest, there's a reward. We call it joy rejoicing. Verse 36. I love what verse 36 says. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's a reward that comes with a harvest. When you see people come to Christ, it is rejoicing. It is joy. People get excited when they see people come to Christ. Now, I've been in the ministry for 40 years, and I can tell you, hands down, what's been the most joyful experience of my entire ministry. I've been to a lot of rejoicing worship services. I've been to a lot of rejoicing fellowship dinners. I've been to a lot of rejoicing wedding ceremonies, and on and on and on. But the thing that gives me the most joy is when I have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, and they say yes to Christ, it shoots me to the moon. It is so exciting to see that happen. And that's the spirit of heaven. When heaven sees the gathering of fruit at harvest time, in terms of people getting saved, what does it say? Luke 15, 7, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. I want to tell you something. You want a happy church? You want a celebrating church? You get a church that's in the harvest and people are coming to know Christ. And if they're not, you know what you have? Churches that are just maintaining, they become a nitpicking, murmuring, legalistic, solemn, and uptight people. And I don't want to be that kind of church. And you don't want to be either. The joy comes when you see your friends and relatives and neighbors and associates come to know Christ. And they, there's room made for them. It transforms a church. C.S. Lewis said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself is simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now think about it. Think about what the church could do in heaven. The church could sing songs. The church could preach. The church could disciple. The church could have fellowship dinners. The church could have Awana and all-out basketball and all those things. What is the one thing the church can't do in heaven? I will tell you. Reap the harvest. 
It's too late. There is no harvest in heaven. And that's why the church is here right now. There's no greater thing that we can do is to reap the harvest. And so our emphasis this year is on the harvest, on your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your associates. And we're just asking for one person, not 1,100 people reaching one, but one reaching one that you could serve, that you could invite, that you could share the gospel with. Why? Because the fields are white for harvest. We are the laborers, and you know who they are. A few years ago, I heard a pastor by the name of Kevin Myers. He was wrestling with God because he was busy and tired. He said, you know, Lord, when when can we relax this business of reaching the harvest? And then he had, as it were, this daydream. And it was as though God was real upon him, and God said to him, okay, Kevin, you have three children. Pick any two of them to go to heaven, and I promise you the two that you pick will go. Which two would you like to pick? He took a moment to write down the three names, and then he said, Father, I could never pick two of my children. I won't pick two. And God said, no, 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 go ahead, just Circle two of the three. Which ones do you want? And I'll make sure two of the three get to heaven. You think about it and let me know. And Kevin said, I began to weep, not as a baby, but as a father. He said, I can never pick two out of three. And God said, well, with you guys, two out of three isn't bad, right? And Kevin said, it is when it comes to my kids. And God said, and it is when it comes to my kids too, so that when two out of three are okay with you, two out of three will be okay with me. I ask you to come today in preparation of heart to write down a first name of somebody that you see in your life that knows, that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that you are asking God that you will be influential on. I wrote my name down. It's a family member. And I know there's some family in your heart and some workers, associates, and people in school or whatever that you need a burden for because the harvest is ripe and white unto harvest. Will you join us? I'm going to ask you right now as the piano plays and as God leads that you would put a name, a first name only of somebody you care about enough that you don't want any to perish any more than that father said, oh, one kid is okay. I'll take the other two. At any time now as the piano plays, would you come and just place your card in a basket up here? And this year, we're praying, God of the harvest, that many of these people will come to Christ. Who's your name? Who will you pray for? First name only. Put it in the basket. Fill them like we did in the first service. And God is going to do some amazing things.